Well, welcome, brethren, to Judges chapter 6. We just seem to be having a little bit of uh, difficulty here, just getting the broadcast to perform properly. Just give me a moment here, and hopefully this will clear up. Yes, I think it will now. There we go. So, brethren, welcome to Wednesday night Bible study. We're up to Judges chapter 6, and we're not going to cover the entire chapter this evening. This is the story of Gideon. And he spans uh, several chapters. So we'll go through this, uh, this, uh, this portion of his, Israel's history over the next uh, week, couple of weeks, two, three weeks. And uh, this evening, I'm, I'm going to cover the first 20, 25 verses or so. And then we'll come back to the Q&A that we started last week. So again, if you have any questions, as we have been going through the book of Judges, now is your opportunity to ask them. And also, uh, we want to just go back to and finish off a question that came to us through Slack. And uh, Pastor Murray will be joining me at the end of the study so that we can do the live Q&A. Let's open with a word of prayer, and then we can get into Judges chapter 6, at least part A, for this evening. Let's uh, begin with prayer. Father, we uh, pause before our study. We are ever so grateful to you, Father that of all the people on the planet, uh, we are among the few that have a heart for your word. To most people on the planet, Father, you know, they see your word as foolishness and they, they despise it. But you have uh, called us, Father, and you've put in our hearts a love for you and a love for Jesus Christ and a love for your word. And as we are counting now towards Pentecost, uh, we are ever so grateful to you, Father, for your Holy Spirit and the, the understanding that it, it, it brings to us. Thank you, Lord. And as we seek to digest your word, we ask for your blessing, uh, your blessing on our study, your, your blessing, Father, on our understanding and a deepening of our faith and conviction. We praise you, Lord, and we ask for these mercies in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. So, brethren, we are uh, up to Judges chapter 6. And, you know, the Word of God, uh, God does hold nothing back, and, and particularly the book of Judges. Um, I can't apologize for the Word of God. Uh, so, so as we go through the book of Judges, God is very, very blunt, or, or I should say the, the author here of Judges, which we believe to be Samuel, uh, preparing Saul for his uh, reign as king. Uh, he's very, very blunt. He doesn't hold anything back. And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves as we go through this book is not so much to look down upon the children of Israel, but rather to evaluate ourselves and to ask ourselves, are we any better? You know, we're all human, and humans haven't changed. You know, even the evolutionists, <laughs> these people who believe in evolution, they themselves will say that human beings are fundamentally the same. And they'll go back and they'll say, you know, 25,000 years, human beings are fundamentally the same. And then they'll just do a little proviso. And they'll say something like, you know, millions of years ago, human beings were different, but we've evolved. But for the last 25,000 years, there really has been no change. So they're acknowledging human beings are the same. And if we lived in the time of the judges, how would we behave? So we're fundamentally the same. Yes, we have the Holy Spirit. And as we strive and wrestle with the Holy Spirit, God gives us more. And we pray as we count towards Pentecost that he will give us yet even more. And that does transform us but we are still battling with our human nature. So as we read Judges, it's an, a, it's an opportunity for us to be very, uh, how shall I say, frank with ourselves, individually and collectively. And how are we doing as a church? So let's continue now. We, we, last time we were in Judges 5, you know, Judges 4 was the great victory of Deborah and Barak and Yael overcoming the enemies of Israel. And there was a big celebration then in chapter 5 with the Song of Deborah. And now we come to Judges chapter 6. So they have 40 years after Deborah of peace. And what's the saying? Adversity makes men, but affluence makes monsters. And we certainly in the West have had a long period of affluence. And unfortunately, it has made monsters. You know, had we suffered more like our forefathers, maybe we would have more backbone, more character. Uh, so again, let's evaluate ourselves as we go through this. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. And the children of Israel, what did they do? 
They did evil. Evil in whose sight? In the sight of the Lord. In their own eyes, they did what was right. Every man did what was right. So there, if we were to, if we could, you know, take our cameras back thousands of years ago and, and stop these guys in the street and say, you know, I just want to get your opinion on a few matters. And then eventually ask them, and so how would you evaluate Israel? They would say, you know, we're, we're doing a pretty good job. We're doing a pretty good job. And if I were to stop the average church member today and say, you know, how would you evaluate the church? You know, we're doing a pretty good job. But that doesn't matter. What matters is, how does God see us? What is his evaluation of the church? And, and the way that God evaluates us is with his word. So we have to see how well do we conform, how well do we comply with the word of God. Israel did not. And we're going to see that, you know, they, 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 they comply when it's in their interest and they, they, they want God to save them. But once they have prosperity, they go sideways. So the children of Israel did evil. God, God holds nothing back. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. You know, Pastor Murray gave a great sermon on Sabbath. And he, he, in, that, in that instruction, he taught us, you know, why we must fast. And he went through numerous examples in the scripture, so thorough and comprehensive, showing us all these examples of fasting in the Bible. But in that message, he posed the question, is this pandemic from the hand of God? And afterwards, in our after-sermon discussion, where we as a congregation just help each other digest the message that we heard. Uh, we were asking each other, is this from the hand of God? Is the coronavirus pandemic from the hand of God? And, you know, we went back and forth, and I think in the end, we mostly landed on, we believe that it is. And, and it's not so much the pandemic as the economic fallout from the pandemic, that that is going to be far more crushing and far more devastating than the actual pandemic itself, so, or the actual virus. So I want you to see, as we read here in Judges 6, some of the parallels between the time of Gideon and our time today. So he says here, that he, he, who, who delivered them? God himself delivered them into the hand of Midian for seven years. It could have been for six years, or it could have been for eight years, or it could have been for 18 years. The timetable was completely in the control of God, and he set the timetable as seven years. Now, during those seven years, Israel would be asking themselves, you know, why is this happening? And certainly God couldn't be behind this because God is for us. But we now can read this and see, no, God, God did this. Yes, it's the Midianites crushing them, but it's God who delivered them. Remember, all these nations are more powerful than Israel. That's, that's no news. God told them going in, you're the weakest of the nations. And you're going, into nation, you're going among nations that are far mightier than you. But I will deliver them into your hand. So the fact that these nations are mightier than Israel, this is not an issue. It's the fact that they had abandoned God. And God delivered them into their hands. He says then, And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. They had the upper hand. God gave that to them. And so today, if we see our enemies having the upper hand, we can ask the question, is God giving them the upper hand? Because unlike the ancient Israel, where they were the weakest of nations, today the Israelite nations are the most powerful, the most prosperous. And yet, their enemies are prevailing. Our enemies are prevailing over us. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel. And because of the Midianites... The children made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. So, you know, this is quite fascinating. In other words, Israel was under house arrest. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, how's it going for us? We're under house arrest. You can't go about freely. You can't move about freely. Because of this virus, which was, you know, from our enemy, the communist China, leaked from their lab in Wuhan, knowingly, they knew this virus was out, out there, and they said nothing, they withheld information. 
and now the whole world is suffering. And now we can't operate freely. We're in this lockdown. Well, Israel was no different. And it was from the hand of God why, why they were in this economic lockdown. So they were in mountains, they were in caves, and they were in strongholds. They, they found positions where they could hold off the enemy. They could see the enemy coming and, and, and be able to survive. And so it was, when Israel had sown, so their plant, their, it's an agrarian society, and so when they had sown, and they're waiting now for the harvest, that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of East. And I'll just footnote, all of these nations today are Islamic nations. They could have been Christian, many of them were Christian nations, but Satan worked his agenda and forcefully converted them to, over to Islam. And so Islam has a hatred for Judah and Israel. And so these same nations today, the, these same DNA these descendants are against Israel and Judah today. Everything's coming full circle. And so the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against Israel. And they encamped against them. And what did they do? And they destroyed the increase of the earth. This was an economic strike. And, and what we know, it's, it's a strike to the economy. And what we know is it's from the hand of God. So this pandemic, which is a virus, which is a health concern, the real impact of it is economic. And so a lot of people are going to suffer severely from the economic impact of this pandemic and the, the um, reaction or the, the, the uh, hysterical reaction to the pandemic. And so this is where we are. And so they encamped against them and destroyed the increase of the earth until you come up to, um, up, unto Gaza. So this was thorough. And they left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor donkey. So these are just human beings. These are just human characters. The real enemy is Satan. And Satan is not particularly creative. In fact, he's the opposite of creative. He's destructive, but he's effective. And once he has techniques that work, he continues to use them. And so this is an economic strike, and it is a strike of, of hatred. It is ensuring that Israel has no place to go. Look at this uh, news item here, which is, uh, let me just make sure I have the right one pulled up. This one is uh, from The Guardian. And notice this that millions of U.S. farm animals are to be culled by suffocation, drowning, and shooting. Closure of meat plants due to coronavirus means depopulation of hens and pigs with methods experts say are inhumane despite unprecedented demand at food banks. So the article goes on to say that there is more demand for this food than ever. People are, are impoverished. And at the, while the increase in demand is there, all of these animals are being destroyed because of coronavirus, that they detect some um, infection uh, or presence of the virus in a meat plant, and so everything has to be destroyed. It's a different means, it's a different mechanism, it's the same devil, it's the same Satan. And in terms of the economic lockdown, listen to a couple of, you know, so the whole idea here uh, of Satan is to bring down the economy. And God allows it. So this economic downturn, potentially global collapse, and the suffering that comes from it, can we not see that very well could be from the hand of God? As it was in the time of Judges, so it is today. The, the whole thing has become full circle. Now, the people who are passing these policies, the people who are passing legislation, do they have the best interests of their people in mind, or do they have some other agenda? As an example, because we know that socialism is creeping into the West, and the young people today, they have no idea how demonic, how evil, how, how, how deranged and destructive 
socialism is. They think it's a good thing. They think free things are, are wonderful. Uh, so as these governments are handing themselves over to, to socialism, I want you to listen as an example of the mayor of Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot, and listen to what she has to say. Uh, and, and just think about the enemies of Israel gaining the upper hand. Agencies and the deputies that are pledging allegiance to the new world order and good governance. But it's going to be a different kind of deal because it's got to be a deal that respects the values in the new world order regarding uh, local policing. And you pick the people to run those agencies and the deputies that are pledging allegiance to the new world order and good governance. I don't know if you caught all of that, but they're saying they're putting people in offices of government to run these institutions after they have pledged allegiance to the new world order. And so they're willing to negotiate deals and put legislation in place, but they do that after. They put their socialists and their Marxists in place. Now, as that's happening, what we're seeing is this crackdown on the average citizen. So we're all in this lockdown, not unlike Israel, hiding in caves. And now we're being pushed into our caves. Now listen to this mother. They ripped apart her son kicking and screaming, held back by two officers. Three was fined for breaching social distancing and arrested for not giving police her name. They ripped apart her son kicking and screaming, held back by two officers. This is Hamilton. This is a Christian couple. In well, you have to stand up. Can you stand up, please? Please do this. I beg of you one last time. I'm going to ask you. Stand up on your own. They've come into his home. And because he went on a hunger strike to resist all of this heavy-handed government, a judge issued an order for a mental health check. So they basically burst into his home and they're forcing him out. You have to stand up. Can you stand up, please? So please do this. We are. I beg of you one last time. And if you go on the, the couple's website, so I thought mental health, they, 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 their mental health is questioned. And I went on their site, and they're pretty intelligent people. But they're very, very concerned about the Marxist infiltration in the Western world. And so they have taken a pretty strong stance without caring about the consequences uh, because of their Christian faith. And a judge can just issue an order and say, I think you have mental, problems, mental health problems. And now the police are saying, and they, they were challenging the police, if you listen to the whole video, they're saying, like, where's your conscience? You know, you, are you doing this just for money? You know, just following orders? And they go back and forth with the police, and it's quite an intelligent conversation. But the judge says, I think you have mental health issues. And so you can see the day where anybody who disagrees with the government because of their Christian values, that somebody in power can just say, I think you have mental health issues. And they can come into our home. In fact, the World Health Organization has already said that. That if, if, if they suspect that somebody in a home has the coronavirus, that they have to go in and, with dignity, remove that person from the home. So your child, they suspect your child or your spouse or your parent who lives with you, that you want to take care of, that you love, they suspect this person has coronavirus, they will beat down the door and remove that person, and you will have no rights. This is not unlike the situation that is in Judges where Israel is losing their freedoms, and it was from the hand of God. So they went after the economy, and they destroyed the livestock. And we're seeing that today. There's record demand for food, and animals are being culled. Now, all of this is according to the covenant. So in Deuteronomy 28, let's remind ourselves of the covenant. 
that God says, if you, if you break the covenant, here's one of the consequences. A nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the old, nor show favor to the young. They'll be ruthless. And he shall eat the fruit of your cattle and the fruit of your land until you are destroyed. This is from God. This is an economic strike from God. And, and Murray asked the question when we fast, are we just fasting so that the people who are hurt by the virus and by the economic turndown or, or downturn, are, you know, that we just fast so that they, they get relief? Or do we fast according to God's will? And maybe this is God's will to drive people to repentance. And what we need to do is preach repentance and show God's people their sins. And so the fruit of the land until you be destroyed. That was, that, that's the agenda. The economic collapse is for the destruction of Israel, which also shall not leave you either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of your cattle, or flocks of your sheep, until he has destroyed you. And he shall besiege you in all your gates. You'll be under house arrest. You'll be pushed back until your high and fenced walls come down, wherein you trusted. So, you know, today the Western world is trusted in their wealth and their abundance throughout all your land. And he shall besiege you in all your gates, throughout all your land, which the Lord your God has given you. So God gave them this land and they didn't obey him. They, in fact, they broke the covenant. So God is bound by the covenant to bring these curses upon them. Back to Judges. For they came up, this is the Midianites and the people of the east and the Amalekites, for they came up with their cattle and their tents. <laughs> they're, they're like making a thorough job of this. They're, they're going to camp out and they don't need to you know, rush back home because everything is with them. They're coming and they're, they're serious. They came up with their cattle and their tents and they came as grasshoppers, like locusts for multitude. Now, what we know about locusts is they are devastating. Uh, take a look at this. Researchers say they pose an unprecedented threat to food security in some of the world's most vulnerable countries. They eat and destroy everything on their way. One swarm measured 60 kilometers long and 40 kilometers wide. Hundreds of thousands of acres of crops destroyed. So, so they have a severe appetite and they just go and they just ravish everything. And the text says that they came like these locusts. They just stripped the land bare. They came like locusts for multitude, for both they and their camels were without number. And they entered into the land. Why did they enter into the land? What was their objective? To destroy it. And you know, to this day, these peoples, they are not, they don't have an, an ideology that is productive. They don't have an ideology with a work ethic. They don't have an ide ideology that supports entrepreneurialism and, and creation. They have an ideology that's exactly the same. That, that's, this is their, these are their ancestors. And all Muhammad did was come along and take all of the practices and package them up and put a bow, bow on it and called it Islam. And so the people continued to do all the things. They used to raid caravans all the time. And he just authorized it under religion. And so they don't, they don't create, they, they plunder steal and destroy. And so they came and they entered into the land to destroy it. And what was the result? And Israel was greatly impoverished. We have record number of unemployment. We have record number of people on food stamps looking for a food bank, handouts. Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And so anybody, any intelligent person here would say, well, it's the Midianites. But because we have verse one, we know that the Midianites, oh yes, they're a more powerful nation, but we know the Midianites could do nothing without God permitting it. And so it was God who was enabling the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East to do all of this. And the result was Israel being not impoverished, but greatly impoverished. So, you know, what's happening to us today it really, we have to see it. It's, it's by God's permission. It, it, it's impossible to happen without God permitting it. And so Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites. And what happened now? The children of Israel cried unto the Lord. 
So now, you know, it's like finally they, they kind of realize, you know what, maybe if we go to God. This has been happening for a while. What did the, the scripture say? Uh, seven years. So towards the end of seven years now, it finally dawns on them. Maybe we should call out to God. And so they finally cry out to the Lord. It's like la- the last resort. Okay, let's try God. And it came to pass when the children of Israel, you might say finally, uh, cried unto the Lord because of the Midianites. What was, what was God's response? How did God respond to Israel? And this again, you know, Pastor Murray kind of nudged us to think about, you know, why are we fasting? And what is the result that we want from our fast? And it, does we, do we want God to conform to our will? Or do we need to conform to God? Do we fast so that we can know God's will and conform to it? And so how did God respond? So they, 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 maybe they fasted. I think they would have. But they went to God and they appealed to God. And then God finally answered. And what was his answer? Verse 8. That when they, they cried to the Lord, that the Lord sent a prophet unto the children of Israel. That's wonderful. So he sent a prophet unto them, which said unto them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel. So now God is going to speak to them. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. So, so God did that. I brought you up from the land of Egypt. <clears throat> and brought you forth out of the house of bondage. So you were slaves. And I brought you out of that slavery against the most powerful empire in the world to that time. And I made you a nation from slaves. And I delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of all that oppressed you and drove them out from before you and gave you their land. So the the way the people of Israel came into this land in the first place is complete dependence upon God against the most powerful empire in the world. And so they should not fear the people of the land because they were established through the conquest of the most powerful empire of the time. And the same way we read here thousands of years ago, how God delivered them from the Egyptians and of all who oppressed them. You know, we could say the exact same thing today. We, we, we came through two world wars and World War II was phenomenal. It was just, just the other day. In fact, we still have some veterans alive today who served in World War II. And, and we, we were supposed to have this day of remembrance that, you know, lest we forget, we should never forget. These people fought for our freedom. And now what are we doing with this freedom? How, how, how are we utilizing this freedom? We, are, we have completely forgotten the sacrifice. And, and it was impossible for the allied forces to win without the help of God. I think anybody who studies history has to say, God definitely intervened and saved the Western world. And many, many people lost their lives so that we could have this freedom. And do we remember? Do we care? And and God would say to us the same way he said to ancient Israel, I delivered you out of the hand of all that oppressed you. And I drove them out from before you. And I gave you their land. And we we had all the strongholds uh, all over the world. And I said unto you, I am the Lord your God. Do not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. So God wants them to know this economic suffering, this pain, you're watching people starve to death. You're watching maybe cannibalism among Israel. It's so severe. You're seeing your your enemies uh, prevail over you. I want to remind you, that we are in a covenant agreement and you broke it. You have not obeyed my voice. And there came an angel of the Lord and sat under an oak, which was in Ophrah. So we saw Deborah, she was under a palm tree and it was sort of the palm tree and everybody knew where to find her. Well, here now we have an oak tree, uh, which is in Ophrah, that pertained unto Joash the Abizrite. So it, it appears that this was a significant tree, and Joash was a significant person, um, despite the economic collapse. And his son, Gideon, threshed wheat by the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. 
So this is how we're introduced to Gideon. He's threshing wheat, okay, in a time when food is scarce. When the enemies of Israel are trying to destroy Israel through economic collapse, they're attacking the food source. And Gideon is quite uh, resourceful. And, and he shows an ingenuity here where he's able to continue to thresh wheat and, and make bread, but he's using a wine press instead of a, a proper um, system for, for uh, separating the chaff from the wheat. Because he can't do that openly. He can't use the wind and, and do that openly. The, the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the East will see that and they'll attack. So he finds a way to do this secretly using a wine press. And you know the indication here as well is it's going to be a lot more work for him. But he's resourceful, he's industrious, and he's feeding his family. And he's able to do this and, and hide it from the Midianites. So no matter what happens, there's always a way. There's always the resistance to whatever heavy-handed government uh, Israel might face. And, and Gideon is, is demonstrating here a winning attitude. You know, it, it's a, it, like I think of it, he's a businessman who wants to win. And constantly, you know, he might go bankrupt, but he figures out a way to win. He figures out a way to come back and win. And God sees that in this man. And he hears the cry of Israel, and he has a love relationship with Israel. So Israel is horrible to him, but he's in covenant with Israel. And so he's going to save Israel through this man. Flaws notwithstanding. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. You businessman who knows how to win. You businessman when everybody else is saying, Oh, what can we do? Oh, well, you figure out a way. I can use that. And so the Lord is with you. you and we're going to see Gideon is a spiritual imbecile. Gideon has no clue spiritually. But he has a character and, and ingenuity and, and creative and resourcefulness and entrepreneurialism that God is like, okay, I can use that. And so the Lord is with him, this spiritual imbecile. The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, here comes the, the, the insanity. <laughs> here comes uh, Gideon's spiritual IQ, which is extremely low, as, as it was, I suppose, with all Israel. And Gideon said unto him, O oh my Lord, if, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? Hello, have you picked up the scripture lately? You know, before you came into the promised land, do you remember Deuteronomy? Why don't you pick that up and read it and get a little bit of spiritual insight and a bit of spiritual brains? What a stupid question. What a dumb question. How dare you ask the Lord this question? Are you accusing God of being cruel? Are you accusing God of being unfaithful? Are you an imbecile? Oh my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? So God is going to take a spiritual imbecile. And through that imbecile, he's going to save Israel. And where are all his miracles, which our fathers told of us, told us of, saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Ah, he just condemned himself. So it's not that he doesn't know. Their fathers told them that God brought them up from the land of Egypt. But they thought they were special and they could do whatever they want. They didn't realize that they're in a covenant agreement here. It's not that you're, you're special, it's that you're useful. And God has made you holy. God has selected you to be a peculiar people for him. And I think in the church we suffer the same thing. Somehow we think we're special. That God has chosen us. Why did God choose us? Because we're special. And we forget that there's a, an, an obligation. Or there are obligations that we have to God. Didn't the Lord, so they taught us, so I, I, I do know this, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the whoa, I, I, have, I have difficulty even reading this. Are you serious? This is a spiritual imbecile. But now the Lord, this is an accusation. But Jehovah has forsaken us. God is unfaithful. 
We're doing right. We're, we're good. We're good people. We're Israel. This is all God's fault. But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this your might, you spiritual imbecile. Because you have an entrepreneurial nature, because you have strength and you have courage and you have might, I can actually use you. So we're going to go, we're going to use your talents and abilities, your, your spiritual low IQ notwithstanding, but we're going to use what you have. And through that, and through the human system, we're going to deliver Israel. Go in this your strength, and you shall save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent you? So God works within the human systems. No, God, the angel of, of the Lord is on the earth, but he, he doesn't take over. He works through humans. And through their, ability, their natural abilities, he's with them. And so there's this sort of miraculous victory that comes when God chooses to work with certain human beings. And, and hopefully Israel is grateful. And they don't just say, oh, well, look, he's, he's got a wart on his... I, I saw his... Uh, big toe, and, and it had a, a mark on it. it, had, it has, he has flaws. This guy's a spiritual imbecile. Yes, he has flaws, but he has something that God can actually work with because he loves Israel, and he doesn't want to see Israel continue to suffer. Haven't I sent you? And he said unto him, O oh my Lord, with what shall I save Israel? Like, I don't believe it. Like, how am I going to save Israel? And, and, you know, all these judges, as they save Israel... It's always something very creative. It's always something creative. It's, you know, they, they don't have the normal access to weapons and military. And so there's always some creative way. And we just saw, you know, with Yael, it was a tent, it was a tent peg. It was a tent, peg that's holding up the tent. That's what she used. And he said unto him, O my Lord, with what shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh. And that may not have been the case before. But suddenly there was an economic downturn, and they're suffering. They're in poverty now. And so it could be a prominent family, but they are, they are in poverty in Manasseh. And I am the least in my father's house. So he's probably the youngest child. So, you know, we're a poor family now, and I'm the youngest child. How, how's this going to work? And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you. And we should have some level of discernment when, when there are miracles involved. Again, I spoke of World War II. Anybody who studies the, the history has to acknowledge God was involved. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you. And, and you, you, know, you look at what Winston Churchill was able to accomplish. I, I, I think we have to acknowledge. I, I don't know. Like I, I'd like to hear the argument against. God was involved. Otherwise, we'd all be speaking German or Arabic. And the Lord said unto him, Surely I will be with you, and you shall smite the Midianites as one man. And he said unto him, If now I have found grace in your sight, then show me a sign that you talk with me. So he's not quite 100% certain. And, 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 you know, this is a significant task. He's, this is some powerful forces. Or these are some powerful forces that he's going to be up against. And so he's looking for some level of reassurance from God. Show me a sign that you talk with me. Do not leave here, I'm begging you, until I come back to you. And I bring forth my present or my offering. And I set it before you. And he said, I will wait until you come again. And so Gideon's going to go and prepare an offering. And the angel's going to wait for him. And Gideon went in and made ready a goat and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. So that's quite a bit. Uh, and I think that demonstrates something. So this is, again, he was kneading this flour uh, using a wine press. That's a lot of effort to, to create these cakes. And now he's willing to present it as an offering. The flesh he put in a basket. And, and so I think he has a sense that he is in the presence of something significant here. And so he's willing to put forth a, a significant offering. The flesh he put in a time of poverty. The flesh he put in a basket. And he put the broth in a pot 
And he brought it out unto him under the oak, and presented it. And the angel of God said unto him, Take the flesh and the unleavened bread, and lay them upon this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand, and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes, and there rose up fire out of the rock, and consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. In other words, his offering was accepted. Remember Cain, he put forth his offering. That was not accepted. Abel's offering was accepted. Well, here, and, and probably with Abel, there was some consumption of the offering by fire to show that God had accepted it. But here, clearly, Gideon's offering was accepted. God, God consumed it with fire. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. So there it is. And when Gideon perceived that it was in fact the angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face. So the angel of the Lord was on the earth. And Gideon communicated with him face to face. But the angel of the Lord didn't destroy the enemy. He worked through the human systems. And he worked through Gideon. And so Gideon is now concerned that he has been face to face with the angel of the Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you. Fear not, you shall not die. And every time that... Um, these powerful angels interact with human beings. They always, always, I shouldn't say with human beings, with the servants of God, with God's people, they always proceeded with peace. That do not be frightened. And so, you know, the Islamists would want us to believe that Muhammad interacted with Gabriel. And, and when he interacted with Gabriel, uh, that the text says that he was so terrified that uh, you know he, he wanted to commit suicide. He was so terrified, and and that angel, or you know, he, he thought it was an angel that interacted with him. Uh, he, 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 they said the, the veins in his neck were bursting. He was so full of terror, and, and and he wanted to commit suicide. And the angel grappled with him and forced him, and he thought he was going to die. And that was his interaction with this otherworldly force. There was no offering of peace. There was no gentleness. It was like a, a, a spiritual rape. And he was terrified. The angels of God do not interact with the servants of God this way. Not only that, this, this Gabriel that he thought he interacted with had the specific agenda of destroying completely the tribe of Judah to completely wipe out the tribe of Judah so that not a man would be left. Gabriel, every time he appears, it is to fulfill and to advance God's plan for Judah and ultimately for all Israel. And so the, the angel of the Lord will never act against the word of God. Whereas this Gabriel character, or so-called Jibreel, uh, violates completely everything in the word of God and violates completely the covenant that God is in with Israel. So when this angel of the Lord appears, peace, peace be unto you, do not fear. And every time we see the angels appear and interact with man, this is the interaction that we see. You shall not die. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom, the peace of Jehovah. Unto this day it is yet in Ophrah of the Abizrites. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Take your father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, and throw down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the grove that is by it. So this is beginning now the conquest of the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east through Gideon. And notice it begins with the ideology, cutting down the worship of Baal. So we're going to stop there uh, for this evening. And uh, what we will do now is uh, have some Q&A with, uh, with Pastor Murray. So let me get uh, Pastor Murray on the line here. And give me a second. Uh, Pastor Murray, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. Okay, great. I'm very good. How about you?
very, very good. Good. And maybe while we're talking, we'll just get confirmation from um, the brethren that they can actually hear you loudly and clearly. So if we can just get, just go ahead and keep talking, Murray, while we wait for sure. confirmation. Um, so as we, as we talk, uh, I just would like to point out that uh, it, uh, at Sunset Falls today, we come to the 40th day of the count, and that is uh, very significant. Uh, 40 days was when Christ uh, ascended to the Father um, to await the uh, word how many ever thousands of years or hundreds of years later that he will return. So a uh, very significant day in the count. Christ uh, spent 40 days with us, with, with his disciples and future apostles. Beautiful. That's awesome. And thanks so much for doing that count, uh, Murray, every day in Slack. That just keeps us mindful. I know uh, in the past, brethren have even shared with me, and I, it's been my experience decades ago when I first came into the church, there was no connection between Pentecost and the Days of Unleavened Bread. Just I observed the Days of Unleavened Bread. I was very happy to do that. And then all of a sudden it was Pentecost. And then I observed Pentecost and didn't understand at all the Feast of Weeks and the count to Pentecost. So really appreciate what you're doing there. Yeah, they, so they're, they can hear everything's going well. In fact, going back to that comment that you just made, because I grew up in the, the worldwide organization, the day of Pentecost was synonymous with the Feast of Weeks. Wow, yes. Which is, which they is treated it the same, one of the same thing. Yeah. It would be like saying the last great day is the Feast of Tabernacles. Exactly. That's exactly what it would be like. Very, very good. Yeah, so I don't know if you wanted to comment at all on Judges 6 before we go into the, the Q&A. Uh, yeah, it certainly is a, uh, um, starting to get into the, the, the meat of the, the book of Judges. And uh, certainly interesting uh, how these uh, men developed. Um, you know, Hebrews does speak of Gideon as, as uh, being a, man, a pillar of faith. But uh, clearly not in the early, not in the early onset, for sure. That's right. And uh, uh, very interesting to see his development. That's right. Um, starting where, quite frankly, I'll start. And, and also, what? Is, oh, go ahead. No, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Also, what I found interesting was, you know, I refer to him as a spiritual imbecile starting out, uh, as many of us were, um, and yet God still chose him. That of all Israel, there was something in him that God could work with. And, and, and I think that we, we're not looking for perfection from God's servants. We're, we're looking for certain abilities, and, and one of which has to be courage, uh, that God can work with. Absolutely. We think of the Apostle Paul. Uh, there's no way, uh, if he applied for the job of the Apostle Paul uh, with just Saul's resume, there's no way he would have been taken except that God knew what was on the inside. That's right. That's right. And God will take us where we are and then build us up. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. Anyway, I uh, really appreciated that uh, study and uh, uh, appreciating going through the book of Judges. So thank you for your work there. And, and also appreciate your, uh, your sermon on Sabbath. I thought that was excellent. And just really helping us understand why we, why we uh, fast. That was very thorough. So, yeah, I do hope everyone had a, uh, if you did choose to participate in the fast, I hope your fast uh, went well and that uh, we are all about uh, looking for our Father's will, for sure. Very good. Now, maybe before we get to, and, and brethren, as you have questions, please, uh, cgi.churchonline.org. Go ahead and type your questions in there. But um, I wanted to start, Pastor Murray, if you don't mind, and revisit uh, where we left off last week. I listened to the, uh, the replay, the archive, of the study. And I actually said something incorrect, and I want to just correct that. And then, you know, you might have, I know you want to say some further things on this. And it was uh, the question that our sister Lori raised around um, the, the rabbi that was teaching that uh, leaven is doctrine. And, um, you know, there's, there's good leaven and there's bad leaven. And so I had started off by saying, you know, I don't, I don't know, he, when I listened to it, I just caught him that that's not what Christ said. And so I, I, I upbraided him for that to say, no, Christ did not say leaven is doctrine. And I shouldn't have said that. I should have, and my mind was elsewhere. I was setting up the technology, and it had been a while since I had listened to the rabbi. So I, I should have been more specific. That the rabbi said that Christ said that leaven is doctrine. When I heard that, I thought Christ never said that. He said that leaven was false doctrine. Leaven was the doctrine of the Pharisees. And nowhere in the scriptures... Will you find leaven? Well, will you find Christ saying that leaven is good doctrine? And so I should have been more specific, but my, as I said, I hadn't listened to it recently, and I and I said doctrine when I should have said nowhere in the Bible, and then that was a false teaching of the rabbi. 
to say that Christ said that leaven is doctrine. Good doctrine is never referred to as leaven in the Bible. So I just wanted to clarify that, Pastor Murray. And I know that you wanted to make some comments as well. Yeah, uh, we did have some follow-up uh, comments and questions that came to us uh, regarding our interaction last week. And uh, I would like to start by going to the scripture I used, uh, because the account that, we, that the rabbi referred to is referred to in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And interestingly enough, all three accounts um, shed a different, used different wording. And I used one and didn't use the other two. So I want to go to all three so we can sort of bring them all together. Uh, we'll start in Luke 1, Luke 12, sorry, verses 1 and 2, which is where I started last week. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, insomuch that they trod one upon another, he began to say unto his disciples, first of all, beware you of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Um, and that's, that's what I had used when we had gone on to talk about how um, uh, leaven, uh, when we go to 1 Corinthians 5, which we'll touch on here in a few minutes, uh, is, is, is a puffiness that, that Paul later describes as arrogance and pride, that hypocrisy fits into that. Uh, what we didn't do uh, is go to Matthew's account, which we're going to do now, which is in Matthew 16. So Luke says it's the leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. Matthew's account in Matthew 16, we'll pick it up in verse 11. It's Matthew 16, verse 11. Uh, quoting Christ, Matthew says, How is it that you do not understand that I spoke it not to you concerning bread, that you should be aware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees? And then Matthew's commentary in verse 12 then, then they understood how that he bade them not beware of the leaven of bread, but of the doctrine of Pharisees and of the Sadducees. So same account, Matthew, uh, in his commentary, again, not quoting Christ, but commentary, uh, points out that, that as they developed this understanding, they figured out that when he was really talking about this, the false doctrine of the Pharisees. But how does that match up with what Luke says when Luke calls it hypocrisy? Luke doesn't touch the, uh, the false doctrine at all. Let's go to Mark 8 and look at Mark's account, which is even more interesting. Mark's account of the same story. Definitely appreciate those who wrote in and asked for and brought this up so we can clarify this. Uh, Mark 8, verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. So, touched neither. He didn't. He didn't. There's no comments here. Uh, we'll we'll drop down to uh, verse 21 uh, just to finish up the story. And he said to them, "How is it that you don't understand?" So again, same same text, but very limited in, in how Mark presents it. So what? How can? Will all three be right? Well, how could Luke and Matthew be right? That leaven is hypocrisy. Leaven of the Pharisees is hypocrisy. And it is also, as Matthew points out, the doctrine uh, of the, the uh, doctrine of the Pharisees. Let's go to Mark 7. And as you turn there, you'll notice that Mark notes that the, the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. What he's pointing out there, and I think this is how we can bring these two together, is that he's referring to the leadership of the time. Now, the Pharisees were the spiritual leaders, and they were tasked with guiding the guiding Israel spiritually. When we go to Mark 7, keeping that in mind, Mark 7, verse 5, then the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, Why walk not your disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat bread with unwashed hands? So we're starting to see here, he's not talking about the scriptures, He's talking about the tradition of the elders. So they're taking them to task because they're not following their traditions. He answered and said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. So again, here's the hypocrite part. So he's bringing that in. As it is written, These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? So we've got hypocrisy and the commandments of men brought together here by Mark, by Christ. For laying aside the commandment of God, you hold the tradition of men as the washing of pots and cups and many other such things, and many other such like things you do. And he said unto them, full well you reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. 
What is more, what is any more hypocritical than someone conveying as a spiritual teacher teachings that are absolutely not of God? Mm-hmm. They were tasked by God to, to protect and protect the flock and to provide his teachings. And he, they absolutely rejected God's teachings and held them to a different standard. There's nothing more hypocritical than teaching doctrines of men. So that's how we can, when, when they were talking about here, the, the leaven of the Pharisees, and as Mark points out, the leaven of Herod, that we, that we can have Luke's account be correct, that it is hypocrisy, and Matthew's account also be correct, that it is bad doctrine. Um, so just wanted to, to clarify that, because absolutely, uh, the leaven of the Pharisees is false doctrine. Um, but it does come from a hypocritical mindset. Right. And, and when you go to 1 Corinthians 5, you know, we don't need to turn there, uh, but uh, verses 6 through 8, we see the puffiness um, that, is, that is linked to there. In fact, you know what? Let's just, let's just go there and take a few minutes. We do have one question so far okay. that we'll get to, uh, so. but we'll just finish up here in 1 Corinthians 5. And we see the, the, the arrogance and truth kind of come into play here and bring this all together. First Corinthians 5, verse 6, Your glory is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump. Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So that's where truth, which is doctrine, God's right. absolute truth, is true doctrine, is in fact the complete opposite of leaven. Yeah, exactly. And is the the absence of leaven. Exactly. The absence of leaven is truth. So it's, it's unleavened. That, uh, maybe I'll throw it back to you and see what you think of those comments. And, yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I appreciate your comments last week and appreciate you rounding it out uh, this week as well. That, that's exceptional. And uh, the only other thing that I would add is uh, in, I think it was Luke 12, when he warned of the, the uh, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. When I kept reading that chapter, um, he then warns them not to deny him before men. And I think if, if we are full of the leaven of the Pharisees, then it's this sort of superficial righteousness that is not going to stand the, the, the acid test. You know, when we're put there and our lives are on the line, if we're really empty inside, we're going to betray him. And so he's warning his disciples because he knows what's coming. And so he's looking at these hypocrites and he's warning his disciples, don't be like that. You saw me feed the 5,000. Take this seriously. Uh, Really, uh, as you said, rid yourself of leaven. It's the removal of leaven so that you can have that truth. And a great comment there. And actually, we can link that right back to the study you just did where Gideon in in his very early stage knew that God had brought them out of Israel but in the same sense, thought that God owed them right. uh, complete, complete right. safety. So right. there's, a, there's, a, there's a knowledge that absence of understanding can have, can have you right off, off track. Very good. I don't want to put you on the spot, uh, Pastor Murray, but um, Pastor Ramakan gave a sermon some years ago, and he made the, the position, his, his premise was, nowhere in the Bible is leaven ever referred to as some form of righteousness. And so he went to the passage, the parable, of the woman hiding three measures of leaven, uh, which an enemy hid. Do you know, do you know that passage? And, uh, I, know the, I know the passage. I wouldn't be prepared to, uh, to make a comment on it right now. I'd have to, maybe we can take that up next week yeah. or, or find the sermon that, and, uh, that uh, Pastor Rama Khan uh, did talk about that. But I do, I do remember. Yes. Uh, I, know it's, I know it's in Luke. Uh, it, it's in Luke 13. It just says, uh, the kingdom of God is like leaven, and I think it's in Matthew as well, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And, and so I, I just, I think his, his notion was like, we normally think, oh, this is the kingdom of God. And, you know, the, the little bit of leaven grows and the kingdom becomes bigger. Where he brought this insight to say, no, leaven is always wickedness. It's always uh, um, unrighteousness. And so there's a false woman that is hiding the leaven in the meal. And so the leaven is among us. It's being implanted in the church until the whole church is leavened. And Christ says, many will betray in the end time. 
And so the whole church gets infected by this leaven. And then um, as we read on then, you know, in fact, sorry, just verse 23. So Luke 13, verse 21, says that this woman, this, the, the kingdom of God is like leaven, which a woman took and hidden three measures of meal till the whole thing was leavened. And then he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And so this lesson is still in the disciples' minds. And they understood it. So in verse 23, they asked, Then said one to him, Lord, are there few then that be saved? And he said unto them, Strive to enter in at the straight gate. For many, I say unto you, will seek to enter it and shall not be able. So this sort of supports what you were saying in, in 1 Corinthians as well. Uh, so it's very clear here that we have to guard against leaven. There's never a time when we think of leaven as a positive thing. It's the unleaven that's positive, as you rightly pointed out. Right. Not, not right. the leaven. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because I thank you for calling to my discernment. Uh, um, I remember it was uh, several years ago. It was. That, yeah. Um, um, it certainly um, um, presents the, the correct angle of, of that, of that, uh, that very, teaching. Very, very good. So you said we did have a question? Yes. Um, uh, Gideon, so it's from uh, Sister JD. Uh, Gideon responded to the Lord in the, in the same way as Moses. He asked for a sign. Is it wrong to ask for a sign or should we just exercise faith? And what is your, do you, do you want to comment on that? Well, uh, you know what, I think, um, I, I, I think that in, in that, I actually thought the same thing, actually, when you were going through that, that Moses did the same thing. Um, I would say that I think there's, it's not necessarily a case of being right and wrong as being immature and mature. And, uh, you know, what? quite frankly, Moses was a little bit immature then as well. I mean, he was, he was scared and um, wanted, wanted to know how in his, in his uh, terrible way of speaking that God was going to go in and have him speak before Pharaoh. Um, in a similar sort of way, I see, I see this as immaturity. Mm -hmm. um, that's not to, to take away from what you said about his, his spiritual uh, imbecileness, for lack of, a, lack of a better word. Uh, but uh, Gideon there called, called out that uh, he was blaming God for their predicament. I, um, I think that's not the same as him right. just sort of weak here. That's right. And just, you know what? Um, God, throughout uh, his interaction with Israel, was always proving who he was uh, because they needed to know. There were so many gods there that, that the Egyptians um, worshipped that God wanted to show that he was the God of all of those things. You want this? I am the God. I am, I am your banner. I am your peace. I am your, your Lord of hosts. So for me, it, it's, it's more a, not a sense of being wrong, but more uh, new. Yes. I don't know what you think about that. Yeah, I, I like that distinction you put between, you know, it's a matter of maturity and immaturity versus right and wrong. And I think just with respect to Gideon, a mighty man of God, no doubt about it. But as we read the story, so first of all, I, I was horrified when I was reading line by line and saw him accusing God of unfaithfulness. Uh, and, and the covenant is right there. So that just really took me aback. And then as we will read on, maybe we won't get there next week, but perhaps the week after, um, once Gideon is successful, and he has successfully defeated the enemies of Israel, he oppresses Israel. And he begins a dynasty that oppresses, and Israel actually asks for it. So there's a problem there, and I think we have to be always looking to God, not to men. You know, the, the scripture says, cursed is the man that trusts in man. So God can send these many saviors, but they, they have a small s in that role of savior. They are not the savior. And so they may serve a function for a time, but that doesn't mean they will always be faithful and they will always do right. Uh, we always have to be looking to God. And I think in terms of asking for a sign, you know, Christ himself said uh, to the disciple, to, to the, the people then when he was on earth, a wicked and an adulterous generation asks for a sign. And so to me, that would cause me to pause and say, no, I, I'm gonna take, like Abraham, God spoke, and, and Abraham said, that's good. I'm taking that to the bank. And God counted that to him for righteousness. So if we have the word of God, that's what we go by. And I think it can get a little bit dangerous, maybe a little bit esoteric to start looking for signs and, and interpreting signs and, and not anchoring ourselves on the word of God. 
The uh, so a couple of comments here. It's not wrong to ask for a sign. Faith is a strengthened with a sign. Jesus did it all the time. We spoke to that. Uh, no other comments uh, so far. Uh, well, uh, sorry, leaven is always presented as corruption in the scriptures. So a comment from Sister Olivia there that agrees with agrees with us there. Um, and no other no other uh, at least on the church online. I'll go over to YouTube and see if there's any any questions there. Okay. And there is not. And I'll, uh, maybe I'll just pop over to um, Facebook and see here. Pharisees, Christy, Romin, Romin, Romin. Hey, Christy. Yes. Uh, Pharisees were always self-righteous, it seems, that's for sure, uh, to the sin of self-righteousness. Leaven in the New Testament seems to always refer to self-righteousness. And she agrees on the fast sermon. So thanks very much, Christy. There may have been comments before on Facebook, but when it's broadcasting live, we only, I can only see the last five comments. And so, Christy, thanks very much for your comments. And uh, Wes from the office has been monitoring that. He said there are none. So I okay. uh, appreciate that, Wes. Great, great. A uh, comment from Sister Mary. And there are times when we pray about a situation that we ask for our Heavenly Father to show us what he wants to do. Yeah, I, I think that's right. But, but I think to insist on a sign, uh, that's getting into dangerous territory if we have the Word of God. But certainly, sure. uh, we, we get confirmations. You know, we're, we're praying for something, we're looking for something, and something will happen. And it's like, you know what? Uh, I feel that that's a, that's a validation or that's a confirmation. I certainly, I think, I'm sure you've had that, Pastor Murray, where you're thinking maybe you'll speak on something. And then just one thing after another, it just is like, okay, clearly God wants absolutely. me to speak on this. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. Very, very good. Well, yeah. So I think that uh, there's nothing, nothing else coming through. So uh, um, appreciate everybody's uh, participation and, uh, again, following through. And we definitely appreciate the questions and even the follow-up questions. It's, it's, good to, uh, it's good to know everyone's uh, studying and listening out there. And we definitely appreciate the opportunity to, uh, uh, to interact. Very, very good. And appreciate everybody who joins us on the weekly Sabbath service as well. So again, uh, this Sabbath at 2.30 Eastern, uh, 1.30 Central, 2.30 uh, Eastern Time, we will have our Sabbath service, and hopefully brethren will be able to come back and join us. Absolutely. We'll look forward to that then. Okay. Thanks so much for joining us this, uh, this evening, Pastor Murray, and for helping out with the Q&A. really appreciate your insights. And uh, thank you, brethren, for joining us, and God be with you. Jesus Christ is Lord. He's our King. He's our Savior. Uh, we look forward to uh, seeing you again. God bless. Good night. Good night.